from LPM, Louisville Public Media. Support comes from Vision Zero. On foot or behind the wheel, safety is a shared responsibility. And Vision Zero Louisville believes zero roadway fatalities is the only acceptable amount. Their mission is to create safe roads by design, engineering solutions, and education. More information at visionzerolouisville.org. Hi, I'm Kyla. And this is Jay. And you're listening to Strange Fruit on WFPL. What's up, dear listeners? Uh, Hopefully you all enjoyed our show last week. I tell you, we sure did. After we talked to Jill Scott, she gave us tickets for her concert. And VIP ones Wasn't that that sweet? That uh, That was a doll. You, Missy, and I went to the concert. And Doc, it was my first concert in probably like 15 years. I told you the last concert I saw was Macy Gray, like in 2000. I know. I'm like, Macy Gray? Don't judge me. Okay. Uh, but Jill Scott was the bomb. <laughs> she was, I mean, she played about an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, she set. did. She did. And her opening act was incredible, too. I'm going to yes. pick up her album as well. Tish. Tish Hyman, Hyman yes, yes, who is actually a masculine, a masculine lesbian. lesbian. Yes. yes. Very, very empire realness. But uh, it was a fun time, Doc, and we saw people that we knew. Yeah. It was good to see uh, black people of all ages. I didn't even ages. know that many black people lived in Louisville, you kept no saying shade. That. You I kept, kept saying, saying that. that. <laughs> I mean, I was just like, but they, were trying, they was dressed in the nine. They was cast in sharp. Child, Child, dressed to the nines. But it was a really wonderful and time. And 11s and 10s. Uh, you silly. <laughs> but we had a wonderful time. So thanks to Joe Scott. But I say all that to say, we're going to keep this momentum going, Doc, because on this week's episode, we're going to talk to Leah Delaria, comedian. Actress, jazz singer, activist from Orange is the New Black. Yes. So stick around for that. But, Doc, before we get to our feature interview, there's one story I really want to get your your thoughts on. Okay. I was on Facebook. You know, MTV has a series called True Life. Yes. Whether like True Life, uh, what, like True Life, I'm a little person in a big world. Or yes. True Life, uh, I have like 10 siblings. Yeah. Or True Life, uh, I perpetually cheat on my boyfriend, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Just, so this one yeah. is True Life, I'm gay for pay. Yes. Do you know what gay for pay is? Yes, I do. What is gay for pay for our listening audience? Um, well, gay for pay is when um, sex workers, some type of sex worker, whether they do porn industry, sex work on the street, who do not identify in their sexual orientation as gay, yeah. but certainly will perform gay sex acts and do gay for the, things for that, for that good coin. Yeah. Yes. And so this <laughs> particular episode of <laughs> our producers looking at me like, what? And so this particular episode <laughs> features two dudes, Luke and Ben, and they both are straight dudes. But they are porn actors. They do gay porn for pay. Uh, Luke has a girlfriend, but it's a secret. She has no idea that this is what he does. Ben, on the other hand, is married. His wife knows he does gay porn for pay. It determines her on. And so this episode of True Life is going to be all about how these two men navigate their relationships, their lives, and their masculinity. What is your sense of masculinity? Is it threatened or do you, is it more affirmed because you do this gay for pay sex? And at first I was sort of like... Well, how is it that straight dudes, alleged straight dudes, could could have gay sex and not be gay? But then, but then I think about all the gay people I know who are in straight relationships, like who are on the down low, yeah. and sleep with women, yeah. right? Even though mm-hmm. they're really into girls, but yeah. they do it because you know they're basically straight, you know, because of the hate, you know. What well, I'm saying? yeah, well, because they want to, hate, they yeah. want to still participate in the privilege that heteronormativity and heterosexuality provides. And so, although their sexual orientation might be gay, they might fake the funk, if you will, basically. honey, to still benefit from those and privileges of a heteronormative yeah, so lifestyle. I mean, so yeah. I guess it's possible, you know, because I'm not hardwired that way, you know. Yeah. But there are people who can operate sexually different from their orientation. Yes. You know, I mean, again, orientation is different from behavior. We know that yes. we've talked about that. Mm-hmm. So for someone like me, behavior, orientation are very much hardwired the yes. same. Yeah. That's not the same for everybody. So I can exactly. imagine it is possible, in fact, that a, a dude who is attracted primarily or exclusively to women could then also, you know, kind of go to work like an actor or, you know, I don't know. And 
It's weird. Yeah, to me. no. I mean, I, well, not weird in a judgy way. I'm not saying it's weird like, ugh. I'm saying yeah. it's weird like it's unfamiliar to me. Yeah, and we all know that um, gayness, queerness, straightness, everybody does it differently. Yeah. It's all relative to the individual. But it is a, a, a precarious type of episode. It, it is. is. Um, but, only, but only because it's I'm, weird. I'm very only, curious. Only because it's weird because no one would think twice. They would think two of nothing. Oh, if no. Women, there wouldn't be an episode. If there were straight women no. who were somehow doing lesbian porn, and they're like, oh, but I'm straight, though. Yeah, no. and that, would... But that has more to do with the kind of projection sexism that women yeah. face onto their bodies yeah. and their sexuality and prowess. Uh, there's an idea that, you know, women don't really have real sexuality uh, with the absence of a man or with one another. And so yeah. people would be like, ah, nobody cares, nobody's watching it. Uh, but well, it, they say, because of course, of, the... of course girls, even straight girls want to get on each other. Yeah. Like, there's this notion that, of course, all girls, you know, that's every man's fantasy. We're going to talk to Leah about later on about the straight male gaze and how that, mm-hmm. how they kind of script women. And part yes. of that script is that, oh, of course, all girls want to get done with other girls. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's very interesting. So uh, we're gonna, I'm gonna say to the least doc for that particular episode of True Life, and maybe we can talk a bit more about it later. Okay. So let's take a break. When we come back, we're gonna talk to Leah. Leah, yeah. So this is Strange Fruit on WFPO. Are you hungry for more Strange Fruit? I'm hungry. Just can't wait for more. Where else can you go in, get it done your way, and go out without paying? Visit us online at strangefruitpod.org. Like us on Facebook. You like the adulation, the applause. Or follow us on Twitter at Strange Fruit Pie. And this is what the gay life is about. Thanks for listening. Right? Mr. Kringle is soon gonna jingle the bells that'll tinkle all your troubles away. Everybody's waiting for the man with a bag. Christmas is coming again. He's got a sleigh full that's not gonna stay full. He's got stuff to drop at every stop on the way. Everybody's waiting for the man with a bag. Christmas is coming again. He'll be with the answer to the prayers that you made through the year you'll get yours i ever you've done everything you should extra special good he'll make this december the one you'll remember the best and the merriest you ever did have everybody's waiting for the man with a bag christmas is here again welcome back this is strange fruit or wfpl Doc, you're really excited. Why are you excited? Because we're about to interview Leah Delaria. From Origins of New Black. Yes, Big One of their Boo. favorite shows. But listen, be warned, y'all. Uh, we're going to beep out some curse words. It's a little bit risque. It's for grown folk only. But yes. just be aware, you're going to be hearing some curse words beeped out. So let's take a listen to that, y'all. So your character, Orange is, and Orange is the New Black, is Big Boo. Could you give our yeah. audience members a little background on Big Boo? Um, some of reflection maybe um, on her coming out story or her character in general? Oh, sure. That's easy to do. Um, well, first of all, I was really, I got to say, incredibly pleased with the way Lauren Morelli wrote Big Boo's backstory. Um because, you know, I've been, let's face it, I've been a Butch Dyke my entire life. I mean, yeah. I guess when I was a kid, they called it a tomboy, but I was definitely a little Butch Dyke. <laughs> so um, uh, usually when Butch Dykes are presented in any form of media, especially anything that's controlled by the heterosexual society in which we all live, um, they're generally represented as uh, stupid, yeah. um, that they, they pick fights, um, you know, 
that they, uh, you know, that they're truck drivers, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. So uh, when we first meet Big Boo, uh, not only is she not stupid, you know, when we first meet her, even in season one, not only is she not stupid, she's probably the smartest person in that prison, mm-hmm. which is really fascinating. And even though we're in a prison setting, it's such a positive portrayal, uh, a portrayal of a Butch Dyke. It's kind of amazing. I completely right? agree. Ne- I agree. Yes. Yeah, I've never seen that before in any form of the, of media. So that was really exciting. And since then, we've seen more, which is really exciting for me. Um, so what I found when this when this uh, backstory came at me after two years of uh, two seasons of, of portraying Boo um, was this fantastic backstory that ticks all the buttons because you know butches we have a shared life experience. Sorry if I'm getting very like intellectual here rather than funny, which is what no, I no mean. we that's love what, it. That's I love what it. We do here. Okay, yeah, yes, so, yeah. and I love masculine of center women. I love butch women. I love. I'm all for it. Go ahead. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, we love we love women that love butch women. Yes. So, um, Yes. So um, when the script came my way, I called Lauren. I went. I was like, "Girl, because Lauren's uh, a late in life lesbian, come new to the scene. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So she must have done her study right." <laughs> yes. So I yes. called her. I was like, "Girl, did you find my diary? And did you like take out stories from it? Because it was amazing the way she ticked all the boxes." And I always say the butchers kind of have kind of a shared life experience. Um, we all experience the thing where the parents are trying to wear, make us wear a dress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We all experience that. So there it was in the backstory. We all experience the derision of our own community, right? Where mm-hmm. the people of the LGBT community um, treat us as pariahs. Yes. And, you know, tell us that, you know, we're, we're sexist and tell us all this, all the stuff that was also in there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was kind of all of that in there. Kind of amazing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess they missed the. Uh, pardon me for bringing the big downer. The only thing they missed was how often we're raped. That we're raped uh, twice as much as uh, as other women. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the one thing I gotta say, I really feel it's important, especially in a situation where I'm talking with you guys here on the radio, and there's going to be a lot of people listening, especially in the southern parts of the United States, that. Um, the one difference between Big Boo's story and Leah Delaria's story is that my very Catholic parents, although not accepting of who I was, they were accepting of me. And we had a conversation, uh, and we talked together through it, if you know what I mean, and ended up really understand. like I understood them, they understood me, and they loved me until the day I died, you know, they didn't ostracized me they didn't make me leave they didn't make me change who i was and i just feel it's important to say that because there's a lot of people out there still struggling with this and i need for them to know that unfortunately the other happens far too often but what happened to me leah delaria with my parents can also happen and I think that's wonderful for you to share that narrative because I think far I'm, I'm Catholic as well, and I think far too often the narrative is that either Catholic parents, Southern parents, Black parents, whatever parents are somehow less accepting than other parents. So I think it's wonderful that you're sharing that your own Catholic parents uh, you have been accepting. But let's talk a bit more about the notion of butch lesbians being pariahs. And you also talk about about what we people call Nelly queens or really effeminate gay men. Talk to us yeah. a bit about about how you find the larger LGBT community accepts or does not accept 
butch lesbians, Nelly queens, but then also by extension, trans people. Um, I think that right now people are forgetting, I, I guess cisgender gay men especially are forgetting that Marsha P. Johnson, Celia Rivera, they threw those first stones in Stonewall and there would be no you know, will and grace. There would be no all those shows without trans people and by extension, butch lesbians, effeminate gay men who are so often the the first targets of violence, who are the fir- the most well, visible. Yeah. Uh, darling, yes. I mean, Stonewall was started by drag queens, butch dykes, trans, and Nelly Fags. Period. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's who started the riot. That's who turned over the police cars. That's who threw the first stone. No matter what this new crappy movie says, we were the ones there. We were the ones that changed the way uh, queer people, and you'll have to, I personally feel that the word queer, you know, is all of us. So Mm, I often use Mm -hmm. that word, you know, to say LGBT, because frankly, there's not enough hours in the day to always say LGBT. (laughs) Yes. So, um, you know, sorry, just just not, you know, that's one of my, that's kind of a pet peeve of mine. I mean, we keep at, how many more letters can we add? You know, the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, by the time you're just saying it, the <laughs> parade's over. Yes. So, yes. you know, so, I mean, that's something. And I'll, and I'll tell you one other thing I feel about that is that I think it focuses too much on our differences. And it's one of the reasons we have such divisiveness, I think, in our community. I mean, when I when we say community, I wonder sometimes, because to me, it's not, it feels more like a bunch of factioned-off individuals that don't trust each other. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting into a heady conversation. Okay, yes. And that's where the pariah thing comes from, I think. Yes, no, I mean, I completely agree with you, and I'm, I'm really loving this interview. I just really wanted to know, Leah, how you feel about, um, as you... As you've seen, your career has spanned, you know, a number of decades. You not only have done uh, television, you're in Orange is the New Black, but you have a number of albums as well. You've done comedy and you've been very kind of unapologetically out, butch and proud. What do you feel about um, now the mainstreaming of lesbian identity, like shows like The L Word and The Fosters, where we kind of never get to see masculine of center or butch identified women? How do you feel about like what do you think is in the minds of these Producers of these shows who consistently tend to posit lesbian relationships as femme on femme. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what's in their mind. <laughs> They're selling Sam. Mm. And by Sam, I'm talking about spice Sam that you fry in the morning. I'm saying they're selling a product. And to them, the, you know, girl on girl femme action is something that, you know, it's, it's a spank bank for, for straight guys. They, you know, the original L word wasn't watched by mostly lesbians. I know that's something that might be shocking to people who are not un- uh, unaware of what our industry is like, but let me be clear. If only lesbians watched the L word, it would not have remained on the air. Oh, I completely agree. So mm-hmm. that show with that kind of action was always geared, even with some of my like great lesbian um, writers, producers, directors involved with it, the people who, were, who control the purse strings are the people who control the show. And that is straight white men. And they wanted that girl-on-girl action to sell their spam, right, and to mm-hmm. keep their show on the air. Now, enter people like Genji Cohen, you know, and Jill Soloway, who don't, who don't give two f***s about what, what they're selling. What they are trying to say is what's important to them, mm-hmm. right? So that's why we have that. And what was, what's interesting, what really makes it interesting is in this, this day and age, when Genji put out Orange is the New Black, which I, I view as the, the show that turned everything, mm-hmm. um, when she put it out, the popularity of it 
proved that she was right, that these men, straight men selling spam, don't have the first clue about what society in general is ready for and wants. What yeah. they want is stuff like transparency. Yes, stuff yeah. Like let it, and to a lesser degree, Modern Family, which is also a great show. It's just a little, it's more watered down because it's primetime mainstream television. Mm-hmm. But it's still definitely past anything we had ever seen at that point. You know what I mean? Um, so you can say trans, you can say transparent, you can say Sense8, you can say Orange is the New Black, all these shows that are immensely popular with great portrayals of Nellie Fags, uh, Butch Dykes, and trans people, yeah. the world is re- not only ready, starving for it, desperate for it. And how about the great portrayals of women? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah. How often do you see women of just every shape and size? When I mean shape and size, I mean shape and size, every ethnicity, mm-hmm. you know, talking about things that are real and honest. Not about whether or not their ass looks fat in their jeans. (laughs) Yes, I mean, that's why, you know, it's such a beloved show of mine because of that intersectional focus and visibility that it really creates about the diversity of women in terms of sexuality, race, all of those things. And and so, Leah, in 1993, you did one of my favorite shows. I'm a kid of the 80s. You did the Arsenio Hall show in 93. Right. The first uh, openly gay comic to to break the late night circuit. In fact, as part of your joke, you said it's the '90s. It's hip to be queer. You talked a bit about how. And I'm a big guy. You, you said you're a big guy. <laughs> yes. So, but you talked a bit just now about how society is, how media has changed since 1993. Uh, about the, you know the uh, diversifying series and, and the kind of more well-rounded series. But where do you still hope that we can go? Where can we go from here? You mentioned some exactly. of the shows that have that have done well, but where where do we still have left to go? First, let me say that I was the first openly gay comic on television in America, period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With that appearance. That's what's up. That yeah. was like, yeah, that was a, it was a big deal. It's something I'm very, very, in fact, I'm probably the most proud of that than anything else, that I've been able to get to where I am in my career without ever having once been in the closet. Yeah. Not once. So that's, it's, you know, that's important to me because it's a, a choice I made and, and, and uh, feeling that I might be able to do something useful and, you know, to change society and, of course, also get laid. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So um, back then, in the early 90s, that's when we first saw lesbian chic. I mean, that's when we were what, what we always called lipstick lesbians yeah. mm-hmm. and, and, uh, in the 80s became like lesbian chic uh, at that time. And that's why we had movies like Bound. And that's, you know what I mean? Yes. And that L word and stuff <laughs> all came out of that. All came out of lesbian chic. That's how I was able to be on the Arsenio Hall show. That's why it was a lesbian and not a gay man who was the first open gay. Wow. You know what I mean? Okay, okay. It was all about lesbian chic. And, how, and, and, and in some ways, that was good for lesbians. It brought on disabilities. In some ways, it was really bad for lesbians because it's that thing we were talking about before. Yep. It was like, you know, femme-on-femme action stuff. It was controlled by heterosexual men. It had nothing to do with what our actual, you know, life was like. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So as a result, especially in our industry, I was put into a box. I mean, I I was, uh, I was make this joke that um, I played a lot of PE teachers and police lieutenants and the lesbian who hit on every state <laughs> woman. You know, and inappropriately hit on straight women at every function. I mean, that was my Hollywood niche, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they put you in that box, and that was it. It's taken 20 years now for things to change. 
And I'm one of the few people, I can say, I am one of the few openly gay actors out there that has been allowed to portray both gay and straight characters yeah. on and off screen, and men. I've also uh, played a lot of men. Yes. So, uh, so that's how we've changed. Over the course of 20 years, they now let us kind of play anything. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. They don't put us in that box so much. And also, we are in control. We are writing our own exactly. stories. Exactly, yes. In control we of media now. We are writing our own yeah. stories. Yeah. Which is why, which is why, why I love... And more honest portrayal. I love your colleague, Laverne Cox, who, who did the, you know, the, the movie, the documentary on MTV, who's, who's really been producing. So you work with Laverne on Orange is the New Black. We're big fans of Laverne. Uh, you were in the Broadway revival of Rocky Horror. Laverne yes. has been cast in the Fox remake As of the Rocky Frank Horror. Right? Talk, talk yes. to us about, about that. Are you excited? Yeah, Laverne and I were on set uh, last week. We were doing the marketing shoot for season four and just jumping up and down and screaming about it. And she was like, oh, my God, I went to YouTube and I, and I um, watched you doing Eddie and it was amazing. And then I had no idea you were also Dr. Scott, so I watched you do Dr. Scott and all this kind of stuff. So it, was just, it was just great. It's like... Too much six degrees of separation, you know what I mean? It was that just is, so yeah. crazy. And uh, laughing and loving it. I think Laverne's going to kill that part. Yeah, we think so, too. I think, so. I think she's going to kill it. And I'm trying to get little tidbits of information from her <laughs> about what it's going to be like. And it's like I'm like one of the fans. The fans trying to get information about the orange from me. That's yeah. what I would like to learn. And she's like, Leah, you know I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> now you're going to be in town, Leah, in Louisville, Kentucky, February 6th at the Gold House. Can you give our audience just a little uh, bit about what you'll be doing and what your performance will in- entail? I'm hosting, I believe, their concert, and I'm singing a couple of numbers with them, as I understand it. Good stuff. Now, have you always loved singing? I mean, as, as you know, I want our audience to know that you have five albums. Yeah. You actually have a sixth album coming out. What got you into it's singing? Is, oh, it is, that, is it out it's now? Out okay, now. great. So what got oh, you oh, into singing? Yeah, it's like the number two um, seller of jazz on Amazon Radio. Oh, right? Yeah, it's yeah. number two. Amazon right now. I think it's number four on iTunes. Oh, my goodness. Okay, yes. We'll be sure to put the information on the website. Have you always, like, you know, was singing? Like a triple threat. Yeah, yeah, singing and acting and comedy. Did that all go together? Or when did you realize you could sing and you wanted to do that as well? The singing was the first thing I did professionally because my my father, I grew up in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, a little east of St. Louis, not east St. Louis, but Belleville, which uh, is right in that vicinity. And my father was a jazz pianist. He played me St. Louis the clubs in East St. Louis and the clubs in St. Louis. Um, and he, he, when he saw that I liked to sing, uh, kind of sat down with me, taught me to read music, uh, taught me how to sing. Uh, and then when he would start taking me out to the nightclubs with him. So when I was a preteen and a young teen, uh, before the music dried up, before the work dried up, you know, and rock and roll kind of took over and, and nobody was very much interested in jazz anymore, um, but I used to go sing with his combos and his trios in the nightclubs in St. Louis and East St. Louis. So that was the first thing I did professionally. So when I started doing stand-up, and those of you who have seen me live as a stand-up comic know that I'm very foul and I'm very fast and <laughs> no. very loud and very in your face. No. <laughs> I had to clean it up for TV, but when you see me live, um, so what I found was, People could only take me screaming and, you know, and just yelling and in their face for so long. After about five minutes, they'd be like, Mommy, make it stop. So I would sing a little jazz tune and lull them into this sort of false sense of security before I started screaming, Dyke and 
and up in my gown. <laughs> and uh, that was what I my format in the eighties, and that got refined throughout the eighties, and then is my format to this day. I mean, if it ain't broke. So if, when you come see me live, whether you're seeing me in a concert or as a stand-up, um, if I'm doing a concert, there's more music than stand-up, but there will be funny. Yeah. Mm. And if I'm doing stand-up, there's more there's more talking than there is music, but there will always be music. That's cool. Now, Leah, before we let you go, you are recently engaged. My co-host, Kyla, is engaged as well. She and her partner, Misha, are getting married soon. Talk and to she's a- masculine of center, exactly. butch. Old yes. school butch. <laughs> yes, she's yes. the old school butch. So congrats <laughs> to you and Chelsea. But before you go, just talk to us. Give us some of your closing thoughts about, you know, we've really celebrated some strides in terms of queer liberation. Uh in the, in the last eight years, probably in the last 10 years, we've seen a lot a lot of successes, especially, and probably most importantly, the Supreme Court ruling that legalized marriage equality. Yeah. Some of the plaintiffs were here, were in fact from Kentucky, so we're really proud about that. Talk to us in your closing thoughts a bit about what that decision means for you and your partner, but also what it means for, I guess, um, society becoming just a little bit of a better place for all of us. Absolutely. Um I got to tell you that the the gay getting married thing, gays getting married, I mean, that's been something that we have, the queers have been uh, fighting for, I mean, pretty much since I've been a part of the movement in the late 70s, um, there was always, there was always someone talking about this, yeah. right? The marriage equality thing. Um, it became really part of the focus. Uh, after we t- at the turn of the century, I think, is when it became a really major for- focus of who and what we are. Um, and honestly, honestly, no way, no <laughs> way did I think I was going to see it in my lifetime. Yeah. Okay. Ever. And w- I, what was so shocked when the SCOTUS decision, decision came down, it wasn't until the last maybe two years I started thinking this could actually happen in my lifetime. It was very mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah. So... To me, we've made, like, monster strikes. But uh, with that, I think there comes responsibility, and I think we have to be careful. We have to realize that the more strikes we make, the harder they're going to fight us. The harder the the, the assholes are going to be out there in great numbers. There has been a rise of gay bashings in New York City. Um, They are, they're not, they don't like to lose. And then also, Leah, they don't play fair. And we have to remember that also, like, marriage equality is not the end of the gay rights, the gay liberation movement. That there there are trans folk who are being murdered. There are people who are struggling with HIV and AIDS. That there's so much more than just what has really been prioritized by cisgender white gay men, frankly. And so we can celebrate but we can't stop fighting. Exactly correct. Let me just put it this way. Um, I've always thought of the issue as a very mainstream middle-class issue. It's never been my issue. Yeah. Uh, but, but as I grow older and I become more reflective yeah. about how things change in the world and in our society, I realize that it takes everyone in every level to change things. And I think of the marriage equality as the gateway drug to the hearts and minds of society. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that it becomes through marriage equality that we are going to see a lot of those things that you and I are talking about. You know, the poor trans the poor trans girl who's sleeping out in the rain on the street in New York City because her parents told her God doesn't love her and kicked her out of the house. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That this, this step that we take brings us closer and closer to those things not happening anymore. But let's be clear, those things do happen. I mean, that's why I'm heavily involved with the L.A. Forney Center yeah. in New York City. Um, that's, I mean, that's why being suicide amongst queer 
uh, our own community is the highest that there is. You know, that's not a new stat. That statistic has been around as long as I can remember, that mm. we are the number one in teen suicide. You know, mm-hmm. but there's reasons for that. And the more visible we become and the more we speak out, the more we're going to change things. Mm. I tell you what, it has been a delight to talk to you. Thanks for chatting with us. Yes. We cannot wait to see you on February 6th at the Gold House. Leah, take care. We wish you all the success in the world. Have a wonderful, wonderful wedding. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye, you guys. All right, so that was a fun, full half an hour of Strange Fruit. Hopefully yes. you all enjoyed that. Leah was really cool. So cool. Very rarely do you meet a celebrity who's both entertaining but also kind of intellectual. Definitely. And can really cut up with us and laugh with us and cuss with us, but they can also really help us process and, yeah. uh, and and break down and analyze the issues we talk about. Yeah, and a lot of times when celebrities actually do kind of deconstruct what society's doing or have an analytical opinion, they're usually wrong. Like, yeah. you know, Raven Simone. Or Donald but, Trump. You know, or... Whereas Leah was so thoughtful. I mean, she's been a, a friend in my head, in our head for years. Yeah. And so I just love the confirmation that... As funny as she is, as talented as she is, she's just as smart, yeah. just as analytical. I mean, so excited. All right, y'all. Well, we are out of time <laughs> for today, but we'll see you back here next time. Take care, y'all. Bye-bye. Bye. Strange Fruit is produced by 89.3 WFPL in Louisville, Kentucky. Our producer is Laura Ellis. For more information on Strange Fruit, go to strangefruitpod.org. Find us on Facebook or visit us on Twitter at Strange Fruit Pod. The views presented on Strange Fruit do not reflect those of Louisville Public Media, its staff, or its underwriters. I'm Jason Gardner. And I'm Kyla Story. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. Support for LPM Podcasts comes from the Eye Care Institute and Butchertown Clinical Trials, where they strive for diversity, equity, and inclusion within their staff, patients, and clinical trial participants. To learn more, visit butchertown.clinic.